We're over in the book of Luke tonight, chapter 19. We looked at the parable of the talents last time. And just to keep in, in order with this, we're going to go on with the parable of the minus. They are similar. They are not the same. They are given at different times. And they are, are just not the same parable. But there are some very similar parts to them. And sometimes people get them confused and just jumble them together. But before we get into the actual parable itself, I want to just go over the, the context of this. We have two parables that are given in chapter 18, uh, one of which is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, where Jesus talks about the two people who came to, to, came to God in prayer. And the, parab- the, the uh, Pharisee was saying, oh, I'm, I'm not as bad as this guy over here, and I've lived a pretty good life, and thank God for that, and thank God I'm not like this guy over here. And then the other guy, the tax collector, he's just beating on himself. He says, oh, woe is me. I deserve to die or whatever it was he was saying and all the different things. And he just was glad to be forgiven. And the Lord said in the parable, after the parable, he said that the, the last one, the tax collector, was the one who went away justified and not the Pharisee. And so in the parable, he compares, it is really key that you understand this, he compares two people, a Pharisee and a tax collector, a sinner, a tax collector. And that's in chapter 18. Uh, verse 14 of, cha- of uh, chapter 18, I'll just read this for you. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then we come over to chapter 19. And in chapter 19, Jesus is on his, uh, on his way. He passes through Jericho. It says, uh, then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And he came to a particular guy who was up in a tree. And he says to Zacchaeus, he says, come on down, I'm coming to your house for dinner. What is Zacchaeus' occupation? Tax collector. Who are the people who say, why do you eat at this man's table? The Pharisees. What was the parable? Pharisees and a tax collector. And Zacchaeus demonstrates it. So he gives that in chapter 18. He then comes over to chapter 19. And exactly the parable that he just said, he comes on over here into, in chapter 19. And here we have the Pharisees. Look, look who we are. We're okay. Look at that poor sinner over there. And Jesus goes over to the poor sinner and they say, what are you doing over there with the poor sinner? Because the man repented. And, and Jesus made note of that. Verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Then we come to the setting of the parable here. Verse 11, Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Now, he passed through Jericho in order to in order to get to where Zacchaeus was, Zacchaeus was around the area of Jericho. He passed through Jericho. Where is he on his way to? Jerusalem. So what road is he on? The Jericho Road, right? What story happened on the Jericho Road? The Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is a story that happens on this road. He is on this road now. He is going from Jericho to, to Jerusalem, which is... The Jericho Road. Understand, they didn't have roads like ours. They didn't have 14 ways to get there. They had a road from Jericho to Jerusalem. No interstates. No state roads. No county roads. Nothing. Just Jericho Road. That's it. 
So that's the one that he's on. But here's the reason. It is very easy. There, there's, no re, there's no digging. You don't have to get into the Greek. You don't have to get into the history of the whole thing. It is very simple to find out why he gave this parable. As they heard these things, these things we just went over, the, the part that went before, he spoke another parable because, number one, he was near Jerusalem. He just was in Jericho, so we know where he's going. And because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. So the purpose of this parable is what? Has to do with something about Jerusalem and the fact that they think the kingdom of heaven is about to happen. That's why he's given the parable. So he goes on to say here. Again, the road they were traveling, the road is of the Good Samaritan. And before we read over the parable, one more thing. There was a similar situation that day. And Jesus is very often using similar situations or situations that happened with them there. And he, he takes the story and relates it. There is a story of Archelaus that he had a palace at Jericho. He just passed through Jericho. He made a trip to Rome and leave, left his interest to the charge of his servants. And while he was away, there was a group of 50 Jews who were sent to him to protest the kingdom while he was over there in Rome. But they were so successful that he never received the coveted title of king. And he returned to another tetrarchy and he called for the account of his use of his money while he was gone. So this is a story. I mean, that is real similar to the story that we're going to get into here. This guy went over to Rome and while he was gone, he said, while I'm gone, you take care of my money. Here's, here's some money. You do some stuff. And I'm going over here. And the folks were upset to be under him. And so they went to Rome and said, we do not want this guy to be king. We don't want him to have any more authority over us. We don't like the way he's been doing things. And apparently they were so successful in bringing their case before those in Rome that he did not get the coveted title. And he uh, didn't receive the kingdom that he wanted to, to get. So he uses this as a setting. They already know this story. So Jesus is telling him through this story that he is not going to Jerusalem to set up a kingdom, but that he must go away to receive it. He is not going up to Jerusalem to set up a kingdom, but that he must go away to receive it. So that's really the basis of the story. I'm not going to Jerusalem to set up a kingdom there. Because again, he's on his way to Jerusalem and they think he's going to set up his kingdom now. So they're expecting that when he gets to Jerusalem, he will be setting up his kingdom. But again, when Jesus began his ministry and he read that uh, part out of Isaiah, he read a section of Scripture, and we've gone over this before, but he stopped halfway through it. They had always read that script, section of Scripture together. And Isaiah prophesied the whole thing at one point in time. And it looked like it was all one ministry of Messiah. But Jesus knew, no, it's not. This is, there's half of the ministry and then there's the other half. The first half is done in the first visit. The second half is done in the second visit. But Isaiah didn't know that when he gave the prophecy. And everyone who read it didn't know that either because this was hidden to them. They did not understand this. So when Jesus stopped reading halfway through and then pronounced today, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your midst, they were perplexed. They're, what do you mean? What's going on? Read the rest of it. We like the rest of that part. And he didn't read it. But anyway. Verse... Verse 11, we already read verse 12. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom 
and to return. So he called ten of his servants. Now the number ten is generally the uh, it's God's perfect number. It generally represents a a full a complete set. Uh, we saw it with the um, uh, the virgins, the ten virgins, and we see it again here. And there are ten that are called together. And he said that I'm do business till I come. Well, he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minus, and said to them, Do business till I come. But his citizens hated him, and set a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. This is just like the story that had gone on in that day. And so it was that when he returned, they were not successful. He still returned with the kingdom. So it was when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded those servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. So in this day, they know there are those that are opposed to Jesus. Just as those that were opposed to the other ruler. But he says they were not successful. They followed after him, but they were not successful in getting it done. The man still, the nobleman still returned with a kingdom. Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful and very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief, for I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. Does not that just sound like the parable of the talents? And he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? Again, the bank is involved. And he said to those who stood by, Take the miner from him and give it to the, him who has ten miners. But they said to him, Master, he has ten miners. For I say to you, that to everyone who has will be given... And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here the enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. So those who are opposed to him when he comes back, he will do what? Slay them. He will take care of them. So Jesus is telling them, you do not have to worry about this while I am gone about all those people who rise up and do not want me to reign over them. Because when I come back, they are dead. We will slay them. We will take them apart. And that's again with what he does in the end time parables when you have the sheep and the goats. We're going to separate the sheep. We're going to separate the goats. The goats are going to go out in the way it's not so good. And the sheep are going to go on into everlasting life. So he's going to do that. He's going to judge them. It does not matter that they don't want him to reign over them. So Jesus is addressing this and saying it doesn't make any difference. We're, we're going to go on with that. But in this particular parable, we have some things that are the same and some things that are, are different. In this one, we have the nobleman. The nobleman is Jesus. We had that same thing in the one before. We have two kingdoms. We had that same thing in the parable before. We have the servants. We had the servants involved before, didn't we? We have the minas. Now, the minas were not involved before. We had the talents that were involved before. And the talents were given five, two, and one. And we had three servants, but this one we have ten. But how many are called to account for it? Three. Now, it doesn't mean he only calls three to account and seven get off scot-free. All of them are accounted for, but he's only dealing with three in the story. And he deals with the ones that have different different results. One uh, gained ten, one gained five, and the other one gained nothing, but just had the one that he had. We have the citizens. We have those who were uh, not wanting him to reign over him. 
We have the faithful servants and we have the unfaithful servants. So many of these parts are the same, but we're seeing some things different. In here with the miners, the miners are given out evenly. Everyone receives the same amount. But with the talents, one was given five, one was given two, one was given one. Each according to his ability. So in order to receive the talents, the parable of that one, you were given according to your ability, what you could handle. So a five-talent person could handle five talents. A two-talent per, uh, person could handle two talents. And a one-talent person could handle only one. Maybe not even that. doesn't mean that all the people who are given two, three, or five, or any other number can always handle it or always do handle it. Some of them have fumbled it. Some of them have, have not done very well with what talents they were given, even though they were given maybe more than one. But in this one, everyone was given the same. So we are not talking about the same thing to start off with. Because we cannot have, to, to uh, if we have a whole group of people, certain ones are picked out for five, certain ones are picked out for two, certain ones are picked out for one, and then pick, taking the same group of people, now they're all given the same thing evenly. What he is talking about here is addition out of different things. In the parable of the talents, it was gifts, it was abilities, it was things that got entrusted for the person to get done. And with different people in the body of Christ, we see different giftings and different abilities. We see different things that are put upon them. We have the, the, the gifting of, of teaching and prophecy and the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of administration, the gifts of giving, all the different things that are out there. And some are given more than one and some are only given one. And how faithful they are with it determines uh, what, they, what they gain. Now, the one before who was given five, he doubled it. The one who was given two, he doubled it. The one who was given one, kept it, just broke even. But in this one, one was given one, he got ten. Did he double it? No, it was tenfold return. Another one was given one, he, got, he brought back five. That's a fivefold return. That's about half as good as the one who was before him. And then the other one had the one and he just kept it, put it in a handkerchief. Instead of burying it in the ground, he put it in a handkerchief and kept it all safe and then brought it on back and said, here it is. So whatever this is that it's talking about that they were given is something that is given the same to every person. Whereas the parable of talents is something that is given differently. And we have, a, when Paul teaches about the body of Christ, we have gifts differing. Isn't that what Paul says about the gifts? To each one was given gifts differing. Differing. And some are an eye, and some are an ear, and some are a hand. And can the uh, eye say, I, I want to be an ear, or the ear say, I want to be a foot? All the different things that they go on with about that and says, no. We're all given gifts differing, but here with the minas, we're all given the same. So Jesus left to receive another kingdom. The kingdom that is to come is the focus of this story. Again, what was the purpose of him telling the story? So on his way to Jerusalem and they expect the kingdom to be set up now. So since that is, that is the purpose, he's trying to get them to understand the idea that this is not happening right now. What he's telling them is that first off, I have to divvy up the kingdom amongst you folks. I must go and receive the kingdom to a far country. And then I will come back. And when I come back, I'm going to call you all to account to see what you all did with what, I was, what happened when I was gone. So that should tell them all, when we go to Jerusalem, we're not setting up a kingdom. Of course, some people hear what they want to hear. And some people still wanted the kingdom. And we have, uh, after this, the triumphal entry. Now, many of those who were there at the triumphal entry probably were not here hearing this teaching. But I'll bet you some of the people that were there hearing the teaching 
probably were over there at the triumphal entry looking for Jesus to come in and set up his kingdom. So Jesus left to receive another kingdom. He will return to set it up. He's going to receive it. He's coming back to get it, uh, to set it up. What he did during his absence, what we did during his absence will determine our position in the new kingdom. And this is what he's trying to get them to understand. I am going away. I will come back. Don't fret because there are people in this life who don't want me to rule over them. They will be taken care of. They will not be able to stop this. I know you know the story where one was able to be stopped. But that's not happening here. I am going away. I am coming back. I am bringing the kingdom. And all those who stood up against me will be taken care of. But I'm going to be looking to your faithfulness. I'm going to be looking to what you did while I was gone. And when I set up the new kingdom, what you did when I was gone will determine where you will be. So what they have done up until the time that Jesus goes has no bearing on it. The disciples, the followers of Jesus, the ones that are following him around right now, what they did while he was here, he's saying, That's not, we're not looking at that. I am going to be going. I am going to leave you with something. And what you do with that will determine what your position is in the next kingdom. It will all happen while I am gone. Once I come back, it's too late. But while I am gone, you can go out there and you can set these things up. So that's what he's trying to get across to them. Now, what is the mina? What is the thing that he gives them? Over in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, what we have to do is we have to find something in the Word of God that is given equally to every person, right? The gifts are not given equally to every person. But in Romans 12, 3, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. To each one of us has been given a measure of faith. What we do with that measure determines where we're placed in the kingdom. Now, what we do with the gift also determines where we're placed in the kingdom. So we have gifts and we have faith and we need to handle each one. We need to make sure that we're, we're working on each one. I've got the faith that was given to me which is apart from the gift that was given to me. But I also have gifts that were given to me. Now, my faith can help my gift. But they're different. The reward for working on the gift or working on faith is different from the reward that's in the area of the gift. But they both determine my placement in the kingdom that is to come. So in this one, he says, as God has dealt each one a measure of faith. I have been given a measure of faith. You have been given a measure of faith. We all have been given a measure of faith. We cannot ever say to God, God, I don't have any faith. I don't have any faith. My faith is gone. It's just, I don't have any faith. God has given to us a measure of faith. It's ours. Every single one of us started with the same amount of faith. It's kind of like when you play Monopoly. How many play Monopoly? What happens at the beginning? You know, you get a banker, you got a real estate person, and the banker counts out how much money to each person. Exactly the same amount. In fact, you get the same number of fifties, the same number of hundreds. It's all broken up exactly the, the, the same, you know, five fives and and whatever it all is, you got all these these different things are going on around. And after a while, you know, you just don't even count the ones. You know, you start dealing with higher higher numbers, and you're not even counting the ones. You know, yeah, just round that off. I don't even care about the ones. I don't mess up my piles over here. I don't want all those ones. You know what I think? You don't even you don't even care about it because things are growing. 
Hopefully they're growing. Otherwise, you're going down the other way and you, know, you land on somebody's hotel and all over. But we all know how to play the game. But each one of us has dealt the exact same thing. It's, it determines what we do with it. For some people, they land on Park Place and they say, I'm going to buy it. And things go up from there. Other people, they land on Broadway and they say, Mm-mm, I'm not going to buy it. I don't want to, I don't want to shell out that amount of any money right now. And so there's some, there's a conservative approach and there's an aggressive approach. If you get too aggressive, you can, uh, you know, be, have all the stuff, all the money in the real estate and no money to pay your bills. And that can be bad too. Because then you gotta sell stuff. You gotta pay the bills. No credit cards in Monopoly. They don't have one of those. You gotta pay your bills when it, when they're, when they're due. And so Monopoly is a, is a great game that just shows you it's, it's all, it's how you handle it. There's a time for aggressiveness. There's time for, for pulling back. But if you don't go after things, you don't buy properties, you're not going to succeed in the game. Because you know, if you, how many of you all played Monopoly? The way that you succeed in the game is not just to buy properties, but you must buy all, all three or all two or all the ones in the set. Because once you get all the ones in the set, then you can buy the houses and the hotels. And, and that's when you can really drain the other people of their money. That's when you can really start, you know, give me a thousand dollars, you're landing on my hotel. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's, you got to take some money out of them. But you got to, in order to ha- have that happen, you got to invest, you got to build houses, you got to convert those houses into hotels, you got you to do some, some things, and there's no guarantee that when you put that money out that you're going to get anything back from it. So God has given to each one of us, we've all started with the exact same amount. We can't look over here at this person who's doing all kinds of things with their faith. And we've got nothing to show for it and say, it's not fair, they had more. For God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. I've been given the same amount of faith as someone else. There's no difference. They have the same amount of faith. I have the same amount of faith. It's all the same. But it's what I do with it. What am I doing with the faith that I have? Now, faith isn't just for healing and for finances and stuff like that. Faith is for all kinds of things. Whatever you can ask God for is faith. When you obey what the Word of God says instead of disobeying it, it's faith. When the Word of God says, don't go into this room, and you don't go into that room, it's faith. And no doubt says, well, what if I just take a little peek? What if I just kind of... You know, I just want to see a little bit what's... Why can't I go into that room? That's doubt. But faith says, oh, you said not to go in that room? All right, we don't go in that room. Nope, we'll stay out of that room. We won't go over there. But generally, you know, human nature, all you need to know is don't... You see the sign, do not enter. Why? Why, why not? Why, why shouldn't I enter in there? Uh, so-and-so can enter in there. How come I can't enter in there? And we begin to talk ourselves into into that. Well, it's just another area of doubt. I'm not operating in faith. I have to operate in faith. Now, you know, it may be the government that says, don't enter in there. And we don't have faith in the government, so we, don't, we just do what we want to do. Right? But, we, but if you disobey what God says, well, that's, that's, the, that's the problem. You don't want to disobey what God says. It's, it's a lack of faith in what, what God has said to do. If God says, thou shalt not, and I shall, it's doubt into the Word of God. It's not operating in faith. I'm not taking that measure of faith that I have and working it. Obedience to the Word of God is exercising my faith. I just, well, God, you said that. I'll trust, trust that what you said is right. 
I'm just going to do that. Obedience to the Word of God says, I believe I'm healed. Obedience to the Word of God, I believe I have the wisdom I need. Obedience to the Word of God, I believe I have the peace that I need. I believe that I operate in joy. I believe the joy of the Lord is on the inside of me. I believe the love of God is on the inside of me. Hasn't God also poured out to us the love of God? Hasn't that also been dealt with us? And do we not also exercise in that? So we're going to look at that, that love has been dealt to each and every one of us. What are we doing with it? When we don't walk in love towards other people, then I'm not exercising it. I'm not putting that mina that I have to work. I'm burying it. Are we doing anything else with it? We're going to bury it. We're, we're putting it aside right now. I'm not going to do that. So we studied the Word of God to find out what the Word of God says so that I can have faith in it and believe it and do it. Because when I do it, I'm taking that mind I have and I'm producing something. I'm putting it to work. And this is what God wants us to do. Obey what He says. Whatever He says, have faith in it and just do it. Just believe it. Just see it as so. And that's what, that's what this parable is about. That for the time that He is gone, we are to take the faith that is on the inside of us and continue to do it. Have faith in the Word of God. Have faith in what God has said. Have faith in His commands bring life. Have faith in it. We look at the children of Israel. Children of Israel wandering through the wilderness. Did they have faith in God? Every opportunity they start grumbling and complaining. No, we got no water. Oh, we got no food. Oh, your brother's out here to die. They were not putting that mina that they had to work. They kept disobeying. And eventually God got to the point and says, You know what? <laughs> That's it. We're going to raise up a new generation. Huh? Even God even said to Moses, Moses, stand aside. I'm going to wipe these whole, the whole group of them out and I'm going to make of you a great mighty nation. And Moses says, No, 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 no. Don't be doing that now. And he, he talks God out of it. But God was getting a little upset with the way they were doing this. You go through the book of Judges. They're not operating in faith towards God. They're not believing the, the things that God said. They're not believing the things that Deuteronomy said to do. If you do this, 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 and this, good things will happen. If you go this way, bad things will happen. Choose your way, which way you're going to go. Joshua even said to them after he, they conquered the land as much as he was going to do, he sent them all back to conquer their own spots. He says, you all do what you want to do, but as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And so some of them did as they wanted to. Some of them served the Lord and some of them didn't. And they got the results of it. But for the whole time that He is gone, we are to use the measure of faith that He has given us. There's nothing else given in between. For the time that He goes until the time that He comes and sets up that kingdom, He is looking for what did you do with what I gave you while I was gone. Now for the one who had the one, which they all did, and He produced ten, He was twice as faithful with what he was given as the one that produced five. But the one that was produced five, he was still given a good commendation as, a, as was the first one. He, he was using it. He was put it to, he, at least he put it to, to work. I may not be getting as much as this guy over here, but put it to work, at least get something. If you put the mina to work, if you put the faith of God to, to work, if you put the love of God to work, it will produce something. It will. You're not going to lose it. But you've got to put it to work. But the guy who takes it, takes the faith of God, takes the love of God, and locks it up in a handkerchief and puts it away. Well, he's not too happy about that. He wants us to get out there and put it to work. In this particular parable, we have equal gifts 
but unequal rewards. The one who was faithful and produced ten minas out of the one that he had was made rule over how many cities? Ten. What makes up a city? Buildings? People. People make up a city. That's what makes a city. So if the one person who was given ten, who earned ten minas, he's then given ten cities, that means that there are ten cities of people who didn't produce as much as he did. Right? Ten whole cities of people who didn't produce as much as he did. Then the other guy, he's given five cities. He's got five cities of people who didn't produce as much as he did. So apparently those that are producing are, are, must be in, in low numbers, but don't you worry about it. You just get out there and you just produce all that you can and you let God take care of, hab- of habiting uh, those cities that are out there. That's, that's for God to take care of. You can go out there and you can dream, you know, what cities do you want? Well, I don't want New York. I don't like New York. Or just think of it, though. If you, if, you, uh, if you got New York, you could disband the Giants. You could dismantle the Yankees. Just knock them all out. You know, they don't play ball anymore. If you took over Dallas, you could do what you wanted to with the Cowboys. Wouldn't that be fun? Because <laughs> it's your city. You get to do it as you want to. You can go over and take care of you know, whoever owns the Cowboys. It won't be Jerry Jones at that time. We, <clears throat> we know about Jerry. Hopefully he repents and gets into the kingdom. But if he doesn't, he won't be the owner of the Dallas Cowboys. Then it will go to someone else. And then you can tell that person to, to uh, you know, either exit the city or whatever you want to do. But you run the city. You probably even dream what cities you want. Maybe you can even ask them. Could I have that city over there? I don't know how he's going to do all that. But somehow he's going to get it going. But we've got to be faithful with it. So when we're down here on this life and we have opportunity to disobey the Word of God, we have opportunity to not put our faith to work and to disobey the Word of God. When we have opportunity not to love people that are around. And of all the people that are in the world, what is the one, what is the one group of people you are commanded to love the most? One group of people, one special group of people that you are commanded to love the most more than anyone else. It's, in fact, the Word of God says especially. The, the brethren, the household of faith. <laughs> I mean, we don't want... We've talked about this often. How many? We don't always love to, to love those in the household of faith. Right? Because they, they're the hardest. They are the hardest. Because we expect more of those in the household of faith and they don't always produce. And we've gone over that before. We've gone over how many times. But those that are in the body of Christ are the hardest to love. But when I love the hardest ones to love, what am I doing? I'm putting my mind into work, aren't I? If I put my mind into work, what will it produce? Reward. If I am always around people that are easy to love, how much reward will I get? If I am always around situations that don't require a whole lot of faith... How much am I increasing my mina? Not a whole lot. So when I get involved in situations that require faith, more faith than it seems that I have, what do I have in front of me? An opportunity to increase my minas. An opportunity to increase what I reign over. Now some of you might be, might be saying right here, right now, I don't want to rule over a city. I think I'm just going to take my mina and just bury it in a handkerchief. I don't want to rule over a city. Just give me a little hot 
little, little corner of a city. I'm okay. But it seems that the Master wants you to rule over cities. He wants you, he, he wants you to be one who takes that mana and increases it. He desires that. So what should we do? Do what we want? Or do what He wants? We should do it. How many of you all have people in the body of Christ that are driving you nuts right now? I mean, come on. We can have inside hands. Inside, inside hands. And I mean, some of those folks in the body of Christ could be family relatives. How many have family relatives that are born again? Inside hands. There you go. Oh, no, you can do that one. Family relatives that are born again. So it's a double whammy. They're relatives and they're in the family of God. And are they, do they drive you nuts? So what do you have to do with them? Love them. Just love them. Just to, now, it doesn't mean that you know you have to necessarily seek them out and just try to do all kinds of... No, we already went over in the Word just a, just a short little time ago. We went over what the Word of God told us to do. Do good to those that despitefully use you. We cover what all those things mean. So you know what the, what the things are that you're supposed to do. But we have to love those that are in the body of Christ, first and foremost. The world will know that we're His by the love that we have for saints, one another. That's how they're going to know it. But the Word of God says, if we bite and devour one another, what happens? Nothing good. No, the world's going to see us being, being that way. No, that's, that's not good. So don't get out there and bite and devour one another and do all these kind of, kind of things. Love each other. That's how we're supposed to operate. Love each other. And then after we're loving each other, we can start dealing with those that are outside in the world. And we can love those outside in the world too. You know, we have that situation that's going on in, in the church in Florida. How many heard about the church in Florida? Oh, yeah. Want to go out there and burn some Korans on September 11th? Yeah, that's a, always a good thing, isn't it? <laughs> and so they're making all kinds of stink about, you know, this, that I don't know anything about that pastor. I'm not out there looking him up. I'm not checking out what the kind of church that he is. Uh, you know, whether is it right or is it wrong to burn a Koran and all that sort of thing. Uh, I know that they're making a big stink out of it. But you know that we have sent Bibles over to Iraq, Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia. Do you know what they do with Bibles? When, they find, when the government finds them? you know what the government does in those countries with Bibles? They burn them. Because they're not allowed in that country. Anybody make us think about that? No, they don't make us think about that, do they? In fact, even in the, when, when people from this country sent Bibles over, there was just a story about this I think came across today. When people, uh, just because they were comparing the two, when people in this country sent Bibles to their relatives in the service, our government intercepted them and burned them. Our government did that because they were trying to stay in compliance with the nations that we were in. So before we get all upset over this, this one church over here, which I'm not at, I'm not saying go, let's go out there and burn. Why in the world do we need to do it? We don't need to do it at all. But these other governments that want to point the finger are doing the same thing with other people's uh, holy works as well. But in the, as, a, as a general rule, I'm not going to go out there and walk that way. When I was in the, the King's College, we had a maintenance guy who was there. And um, he uh, was of a different religion than the, than the place was. 
And I was able to, to strike up a relationship with them and, and was talking with them. And I was in world religions class. And uh, for some reason they taught world religions over there and we had a guy who was, who was teaching. Actually, did a pretty good job of getting into, into all the different religions and giving us a perspective on them. And when we were dealing with the Quran, uh, I somehow it came up in a conversation with this guy. And so uh, he said, well, I have a copy if you want to have it. And so I said, sure, you know, I'm, uh, I can look over some of the things for some of the things I do for class. I said, go ahead. So he brought it over to me, and you know, he treated it very holy. And he brought it over to me, and he says, all right, now, uh, you cannot have any other book be on top of this book. And, and he also brought it to me, and he said, it can also not be touched by a woman who's not a virgin. That wasn't a problem because it was a men's dormitory, and... <laughs> Women were not allowed in our men's dormitory. I said, that won't be an issue. He said, you know how they run our dormitory? We can't have women in here. And so he said, as long as you'll do that, here you go. And so he gave it to me. The whole time I had it, I, what he asked me to do, I made sure that I did. And I brought it back to him and said, thank you very much for letting me use it. And to look through, did look through some of it, found out how much of the uh, Old Testament was in there. But, of course, they added to a whole lot of other things and, and changed some things. But we don't need to go out there and disparage other people's uh, religion or, or holy works or burn them as this person. This one is doing out there on uh, September 11th. But do understand that these very ones who want to point the finger and say that how much we're, you know, that we're doing to start off these countries could care less about burning Bibles. And that's just, um, to me, that's two-faced. But anyway, we don't need to, to walk that way. We've got to love people that are in the body of Christ and we've got to love people that are outside the body of Christ. But those that are inside the body of Christ, first and foremost, love them. Have faith in God's Word. Obey it. Every time I obey the Word of God, I am walking in faith. Every time. If I obey what the Word says, I am walking in faith. Faith is not just getting healing, getting finances, stuff like that. It is obeying what God says. I'm having faith in God if I just do what He says and don't have to find out. You know, if you, your, your mom and dad said when you're growing up, don't run out in the street, you'll get hit by a car. And you didn't run out in the street, you had faith in what your mom and dad said, right? You ran out in the street, you didn't have faith in what they said. Maybe you found out why they said it. But we have equal gifts, unequal rewards, and unequal faithfulness. There is not equal faithfulness among these people. The one was faithful enough to take the one and make it in the tent. The other one was faithful enough to make one become five. The other one was unfaithful and one was one. Unequal faithfulness. In the other story, in the parable of the talents, the faithfulness was not an issue. Five produced five more. Two produced two more. You were either faithful or you were not in that parable. But in this parable, there is unequal amounts of faithfulness. Some were more faithful than others. The ones who were more faithful with what they were given, received more reward. Just understand this. If God gives reward, it's good. God gives good rewards. When you get up there, you may say it down here, I don't want any cities. But when you get up there, you may be saying, oh man, oh I wish I had faith to believe that I would have wanted one of those things. I wish I had faith to believe that I actually wanted five cities or ten cities. I would have been a whole lot more faithful walking in the faith of God, walking in the love of God. Thank God for people in your life that give you a hard time. Because every single one of them is giving you an opportunity to be more faithful with the mind that you have. Instead of going around grumbling and complaining about relative so-and-so or brother or sister so-and-so, 
all the time saying, oh, why are they in my life? Oh, why are they always bringing such heartache? Oh, why are they always doing this? Glory to God. <laughs> They're just giving me an opportunity to get even more reward. Hallelujah. I'm just going to walk in love to them. But you see, the devil, he, just, he wants to get us focused on the now. God wants us to focus on the future. But the devil wants to get our focus on now. How much hardship is this causing you? How much heartache is this causing you? You ought to just quit it. Just get out of that thing. Just walk away from that. Just stay away from that person. Don't get near that person. Just write off that one. That doesn't mean that you've got to be bosom buddies with everybody. There are some people that you still got to love them. Still got to love them. But they just don't receive from you. But you're still walking in... in and, and, and you, how you walk in love with them is that if they came to you and say, oh, I'm sorry, can we fix this? Absolutely. Absolutely. Make sure that you always stay that way. Don't walk in a place where you're harboring bitterness, being angry, all this sort of stuff. We have here equal gifts, unequal rewards, and unequal faithfulness. Now, in the end, the nobleman was more into character making than money making. That's what you can see from this parable. He is more into character making than money making. He's not so focused on how much money did you make for me. He's looking at what did you become as you made it. Because the one who was faithful with the one and produced ten, he says, you have become a person of such character that I can now trust with you ten cities. The one who produced who took one and produced five, he says, you have made yourself... A character, not quite up to the level of this guy over here, but your character has grown to the level that you can handle five cities. He is into character making, not money making. And our faithfulness with the faith that He has given us, with the love that He has put in, poured in our heart, our faithfulness for that is making us, is changing our character. And God is interested in the character that we become, not the money that we make in the kingdom. Because really, this kingdom is passing away. It's the kingdom that comes on the other side. That's what matters. He's just saying, what did you do when, when I was gone? Well, we got a new kingdom over here, so all that you earned really doesn't mean anything anymore. Got a whole new kingdom. Put this in your outline too. Do we realize the importance of preparing ourselves for greater responsibility in the new kingdom? Do we realize the importance of preparing ourselves for greater responsibility in the new kingdom? Do we realize that? Do we realize how important it is that here and now we develop the kind of character that takes us on in a new kingdom? Are we looking at that? That's what God is. God is looking at that. Do I obey the Word? Do I love those that are in front of me? Do I love those that are around me? What am I doing with it? God is into character making. Not looking to just for you to be a money maker for His kingdom. What are we doing with it? Well, we have two parables. One talking about gifts that are differing. One talking about rewards that are differing. But God wants us to be mindful of all these things. Yes, the gifts are different to each one. But there's also something that's been given to us that is the same. We've all been given the love of God. It's all been poured out into our hearts. And we've all been given a measure of faith. What are you doing with what we've all been given the same amount of. What I do with it after that, it grows. I mean, you don't go from 1 to 10. You go from 1 to 2. And 2 to 3 or 2 to 4. To 5. 6. 
seven, you you work your way on up. So that by the time that he came, he then had ten. He went away to a faraway kingdom. So we have time. So we've taken our one. Maybe we've produced two. Maybe we've produced three. We've still got time. He's still not here yet. I can still be faithful. Might even be some people who took taken their one and they buried it. Haven't done anything with it. Well, you know what? Pull it out of the handkerchief. He's not here yet. Pull it out of the handkerchief now and put it to work and get it going. At least produce something with it. Be walking in love towards those that are in the kingdom. Be walking in faith to His Word. Trust His Word. Every opportunity you can to believe His Word, you take it and you believe it and you build that up so that you increase your faith, you increase your love that's on the inside of you. Father, we thank You for the help that You give us. We thank You that in us has been given the same in the area of love, in the area of faith. But what we do with it will determine our reward for the kingdom that is to come. Your focus is the kingdom that is to come. And this kingdom is just a place where we make the character that we need to go on. Down in this kingdom, we're here for 60, 70, 80, 100 years, whatever it might be. But in the kingdom to come, oh, we've got a thousand years just to, just to kick it off. And then an eternity after that. How small it is the time that we're here. But how worthwhile it is for us to be faithful for all the years that we're here and produce for you to take the faith that we have and grow, to take the love that we have and grow in it because it's determining where we're going. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us in this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.